it really gets even deeper when you start looking at, okay, what are the motives that are underneath your awareness? So what are these things? You're having these behaviors and they're problematic behaviors because they keep messing up relationships in your life or you keep losing jobs or you're not even happy with where you are, but you keep continuing to do the same behaviors. Why? There's a function to that behavior. Empower You Podcast is devoted to bringing real-world wisdom and encouragement to our listeners. We discuss a multitude of life principles and the process from an economic, cultural, and societal perspective. We believe that through tough conversations and shared wisdom, we can pave the path and leave a ladder for the future. Subscribe to our channel and let us empower you. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Empower You Podcast. My name is Kibway Cooper, and I am so glad that you are here. Uh, today's topic is a really heavy one, and uh, I want you to take a second and really just uh, allow yourself to be a little vulnerable, okay? Today, we're going to talk about uncovering your motives. Everything that we do has a motive. Uh, whether we think about it or not, every action, every thought. Um, sometimes we even have motives we're not really aware of, and that can really affect our relationships, our ability to move forward. It can really get us stuck, too, in behaviors or lifestyles or environments in ways that we're not sure about, in ways we feel helpless to get out of. So uh, we have a really, really, really special uh, group um, couple who will be talking with us today. And uh, they are uh, the founders of Courageous Healing Inc., which specializes in culturally sensitive and aware um, mental health care. And we are so fortunate to have them. We have been volleying back and forth dates for this interview for weeks. So this is really, really special. And I really hope you all enjoy yourselves. Aaron and Janelle Lane are doing an amazing work in the Fort Wayne community. You can also find them online at CourageousHealing.org. And uh, we're just really happy to have them. Aaron, Janelle, how are you all? Thank you so much for being here. Hey, we're doing well. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're doing good. Good, good, good. So before we get started, uh, I would love for you to take just a, a couple minutes and tell me, uh, us, about kind of your background and what, what started Courageous Healing Inc. and the work that you do. Um, not so much from a, from a, uh, a professional standpoint, but just your real intention, your real motive behind the work that you do and the reason you get up every day and stand in the gap for people? Um, I'll kind of start letting you guys in, you know, personally of who we are and what I like to call and what we like to call our first ministry. Um, and then, you know, I'll kind of let you talk about um, how courageous it came to be and so forth. Um, so we are Aaron and Janelle Lane. Um, we're married um, going on eight years now. We have two beautiful children. Um, that God has blessed us with, Jace, um, our son Jace, who is six, um, and our daughter Nova, who is three. Um, 
you know, we are extremely just grateful to be able to, to parent two beautiful children um, and do life together. Um, my background is I have two masters, one in organizational leadership, um, as well as a second master's in social work. Um, have years of experience in personal and professional development, um, athletic training, and so forth. Um, certified in, in a lot of different things from DISC, MBTI, Lominger, Emotional Intelligence, um, et cetera. You can just keep naming them. Um, I've been privileged to have some experience in those different types of things. Yeah, and I'm a licensed mental health counselor by trade. Um, years of experience, over 12 plus years in the field. Um, and, and honestly, courageous healing was birthed out of a seed that was planted years ago by God, where I kind of just noticed, even in my schooling and then post school and a lot of places that I worked, the absence of therapists of color. It was so um, obvious, the gaps and the voids, but a lot of the clientele in the population, either we weren't getting in clients of color, or we would get them in and not retain our clients of color because some of the things within the field weren't catered or centered to issues and challenges that the population faced. Um, so after years of navigating spaces where I was the only or one of very few therapists of color, God just started nudging me about someday creating a space and a facility that would enable us to close the gap. Um, and so over the course of years, I think we kind of started having the conversations earlier on and I was seeing clients on the side and um, there were these barriers to being able to treat the population we are most passionate about serving. One, the stigma. Um, and then two, cost and insurance was often a barrier. So I would end up, you know, decreasing rates oftentimes to make it affordable for people to be able to have access, but even transportation and access and location of facilities not being in the heart of the community where black and brown populations are saturated um and so we just it we stewarded this seed and this vision and it just started to grow and take on a life of its own until something shifted one day and it was no longer us pursuing the vision but the vision started pursuing us and now here we are uh, where it's contagious so like Everybody who learns about it, hears about it, gets involved, they get contagious. And it's so interesting to watch something go from a seed to like an actual manifestation of God's promises that, that is tangible and other people can feel and touch and, and get inspired by. So it's mm -hmm. been a crazy journey. Um, we're blessed. But that's not to say we have not felt the challenges because it literally is a process. And um, we just continue to be able to do what God is doing and going to do. That's incredible. That is incredible. When you said it went from us chasing a dream to the dream chasing us, that is, that really resonated with me because oftentimes when we have an idea or a dream or a vision, something that we feel compelled to do, there are no obvious reasons to do it. Or let me rephrase that. There's no obvious way for it to happen. There's always a reason, you know, and you have the, the right heart to do something, but you very rarely have the pieces to actually make it happen. So your first initial effort is just that. It's just walking through on faith. And so to have that reversal happen to where, your your life has created momentum that's bringing these things to you 
that is really, really inspirational. Um, and as somebody who who is also on that journey, the idea that at some point, you know, your dream starts to pursue you, you know, you have, you have, it's, it's, I think about um, pushing something up a hill, right? And once you yeah. get to the top and it starts to roll down, now you're just holding on yeah. and you just don't know, you know, so it's, it's, that's amazing. That's amazing. I love the work that you all are doing. Um, this summer, when the uh, Black Lives Matter protests were happening, uh, when there was a lot of civil unrest in the city of Fort Wayne and all over the country, um, your video series that really launched, I, I want to say, your your company, uh, first of all, it was amazing. It came out of nowhere and it was just it was perfect. And uh, as a as an audio video technician, I was, of course, like looking at it from every, you know, technical standpoint of how you all were doing this. Um, but even just as a human, I just I, I resonated with what was happening and it was perfect. And uh, I'm so glad that this exists. It was kind of an answer to prayers, honestly, because I myself have always wanted to seek. Well, not always. Let me be honest. I am recently, more recently, uh, wanting to seek um, some kind of mental health professionals because I think that's part of a good wellness practice. I go to the gym. You should also go and figure yourself out and start working through things before something happens. And um, so it was just, it was just incredible. And your rollout was like flawless. I loved it. So congratulations on that. Um, we're here to talk about uh, uncovering your motives um, because uh, in this series, our goal is to uh, create successful behaviors and behaviors are the manifestation of motives, right? Or are they? Uh, what comes to mind when you think about motive? Yeah, I think, I think for me, when I think about the word motive, it takes me back to my my sports days, my my training athlete days, because I always used to ask ask my clients a very similar thing, um, or my athletes, if you will, excuse me, my athletes, a very similar question of what's your motive, but instead it was like, what's your why? Right? What is your why? Why why are you here? Because it has to be bigger than you, right? Mm. So a lot of individuals, when when you ask that question of like, what's your what's your motive? Um, what's your reasoning behind doing something? What's your reasoning behind doing what you do? It's a hard question um, because a lot of individuals don't know their why. A lot of individuals haven't processed why they are going about doing something or they're doing it more so than they maybe they've seen somebody else doing it. Um, so they want to also do it, or um, it's a it's a it's a trend, right? Um, so for me again, I think I've I kind of reframed that that question of instead of asking the word motive, because for some people it's like when you mention the word motive, it's like this. Yeah, I think I think motive has a negative connotation. Yeah. Mm. So if I'm honest, when you say, what's your motive? Mm -hmm. That sounds like deceptive for some mm -hmm. reason. Like, what is it that you're trying to do that feels like sneaky and deceptive? Yeah. I think that's the way that we have come to know the word motive. But if you ask it in a way of like, what's your why or what's your reasoning for doing something? Then it's like, oh, yeah, what is my reason? What is my why? Um, but the truth is, it's the same. And we all have intent or reasons for doing things. So, um, yeah, this is an interesting 
And it, it makes me, yeah, it makes me think about too. I was actually having a conversation with someone earlier where um, we were talking about where they desire to get to, and I was asked, basically asking them the question of what's your why. And Stephen Covey, one of his leadership books um, for highly effective leaders, talks about starting with the end in mind. Right. Mm, yeah. That's your why. Yeah. Like start with the mind. And a lot of people, instead of starting with the end in mind and knowing where you're going, they just start taking steps. Right. So here you are, you're traveling to a destination that you don't even know what the destination is. So I think for, for most people, we need to we need to become better at identifying the why mm. and our, our motive, if you will, identify the why so that you know where you're going and then put the steps in place to help you get to where you're going. Well, like even from a spiritual context, can I go spiritual? Is oh, that okay? Absolutely. absolutely. Okay. So, so like absolutely. as you speaking though, like I literally have this vision of keeping your eyes on Christ, right? And so you can step out of the boat and take steps forward in faith as long as your eyes are focused on the goal or whatever, whatever that, that focal point, that thing is, your reason, your why. But as soon as you look away, then you see all of the challenges, the threats, the things that could compromise what you're working towards so you have to really have that motive that why that intention so central to what you're doing that that is the focal point right that you don't get off track or look away and lose your balance or your footing or your faith to keep walking when things seem scary or hard Mm, that's really really good that's really really good you said when your eyes are on your your why your motive, the correct one, you know, it makes it easier to make steps in faith. It makes it easier to put yourself out there. And however you feel moved to do so, um, that's really interesting. I know it's, there's always external noise, right? Um, that, that will influence or attempt to influence your decision-making process. So, do you feel like your why makes it easier, your motive makes it easier for you to silence that noise? Or do you think no matter you know what, you just have to know that is real? Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how does your motive protect you? Um, does your why, you know, I- enable you to be fearless? Um, is it you know, is there something special about that? Because in the way that I think, at least, you know, when I think about motive and 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 stepping out on faith and and knowing why you're doing something, it never helps. How can I say that? It doesn't make anything easier. <laughs> it doesn't make anything easier. And I think there's a there's a disconnect that we think about, oh, well, I know why I'm doing this and I'm a good person and this and this and that. So I'm going to step out on faith and do X, Y, or Z. But the reality is that does not make your decision-making process or whatever it is that you're going to have to endure any easier. Can you, can you speak to that? Am I, am I thinking about that correctly? Yeah, I'm with you. I follow. And I think, so I think, I think the motive or the why, the reasoning is is the second part of the process. I think there's something that comes before that. Because I don't always think that for a lot of people, your why or your reasoning isn't strong enough to sustain you or or hold you up. So what I'm getting at is the, the part that comes before that, we've heard the word, I think, uh, Peter, Peter, you said faith. 
Janelle, you said keep your eyes on God. Um, the anchor has to be first, right? We're watching, we're watching a series by Michael Todd right now. That's Michael Todd. That's talking about what are you anchored on? Your anchor is what's going to um, keep you grounded and keep you rooted in, you know, uh, what you believe and all that to help you weather the storm. And your why is what you're working toward. Does that make sense? Because your why, if your why isn't strong enough to sustain you or hold you up when the storm comes and all the naysayers come and all the negativity comes, your why is going to change. Your, your why is fluid. Because before, the reason I was doing it was because of me. I didn't have a responsibility. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids, right? So I was doing it because, it because I wanted to do it. I was doing it because I loved doing it. But then when I got married and I had kids, my why changed. Right. Yeah. So then things change. So then my why changes. So my why is may not always be able to hold me up or sustain me. But if I'm if my anchor is strong and my anchor is always God, no matter what comes at me, it's gonna sustain me. Does that make sense? Today is the day and now is the time. If you have a good idea, good intentions and are looking for a way to get audience and to get your great message out to the world, I encourage you to start your very own podcast. You would be surprised the amount of folks who are waiting to hear your content. My name is Kibway Cooper and I have been an audio engineer for the past seven years years and I am offering one-on-one coaching to help you get through the beginning stages of creating your very own podcast. Please reach out to me and let me know how I can help you. My email address is empoweryoupodcast at gmail.com. We offer one-on-one coaching, a live masterclass, and even a 10-module course that will take you through the entire process of creating, producing, and distributing your podcast to your very own listeners. This is a great avenue to connect with your audience and to connect with people who are in need of your voice. Again, reach out to me at empoweryoupodcast at gmail.com and let's get your podcast started today. Yeah, it does. And you also, you said something that I really didn't think about. Um, you said your why or your why can change. I guess I had never really thought about that. So I think about motive, um, why as being a definite thing. Like I'm doing this because no matter what. And what it sounds like you're saying is that's the same process, but the, the, the why behind it, the, the destination could look different depending on what's going on in your life. You know, that is intimidating. I'll be honest with you. So I'm, I'm over here processing because what we're talking about is so deep, it's easy to get lost in. Yeah. As I'm processing though, I think when you almost have to look at intention and awareness, right? When you're looking at motive, because you might not necessarily be aware of your motive or reason for doing something. But there are other times where you do have an intention. The outcome might not always align with the intention, 
but you have something you're trying to do. So if you decide that you want to, you know, get a job, go after this job, there's a reason that you are wanting to pursue a certain job. Your why might be to take care of your family and to find enjoyment or work that you love. But, you know, there may be other motives as well. The motives to me, oftentimes, you're not aware of, right? Your intention is one thing. Your why is another thing. But some other motives might be if I have a job and secure income, you might not like how that feels to be the man of the house and I have a job and you don't like how that feels. So it gets it can get really complex because I think that there are times. So there's something called the function of behavior. Right. So every single behavior has a function or a purpose. So a baby cries because if a baby cries, you will feed the baby, you will change the baby, you will meet one of these needs. And there's so often that we have needs that are taking place and we're not even aware of what we're needing, but we're trying to do behaviors to get the needs met without full awareness of what's taking place. So like it really gets even deeper when you start looking at, okay, what are the motives that are underneath your awareness? So what are these things? You're having these behaviors and they're problematic behaviors because they keep messing up relationships in your life or you keep losing jobs or you're not even happy with where you are, but you keep continuing to do the same behaviors. Why? There's a function to that behavior. There is some need that that behavior is meeting that you keep on perpetuating the same behavior, but without awareness, you don't realize what's really going on. So you just keep doing the same thing. Mm. Wow. Ooh, that's so, that's a lot. It, it is a lot. This that's is too deep for me to even try. <laughs> that's a lot. If you all are listening right now, I just need you to hang in there because this is a really important conversation we got to have with ourselves. Because if we don't know our motive, we don't know our why, we're not aware of our behaviors and what is 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 inspiring those behaviors, we're going to have a really difficult time definitively putting together a life that makes sense, a life that is impactful, a life that is meaningful, because we got all these loose ends that may not be working together. So how do you discover, how do you figure out what your motive is behind doing something? Because what if all your whys and, and your and your reasons are right? Just like you said, like, so, you know, I, I want to take care of my family. I want to create impact. I want to um, start a great business that meets a need. I want to uh, 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 be led or, or influence someone in a positive way. These are all great things, right? There's a good reason for those. You have your faith in place. But if there are motives, if you're not aware of what's happening on the inside, you know, you could be kind of stuck, right? I know for myself, until I was willing to sacrifice some things that were dear to me, I did not feel super clear about what I was doing. And when I decided to sacrifice some things, when I decided to be okay with how painful a process can be, that enabled me to walk more boldly in in what I believe I'm put here to do, which is create space, which is to create positive space and 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 represent that space with integrity. Um, and so 
I realized for myself through that sacrifice that some of my motives needed to change. Um, and I'm still stumbling upon these motives that I don't know or, or that I'm figuring out. Like, how do you, what's the cheat code for that? Like, how do you get to that faster? I'm 30 years old. And for some of you who are listening, that may sound super young. For others, it may sound super old. But the point is, at whatever point in your life, you have to figure this out because you will not be able to serve your family in the way that you want to serve your community, your employer, whoever it is. If we don't address these things, these are conversations that people don't have for a reason, right? Because they get to the, those those sensitive areas. So what is the, what is, how do you get there? How do you start determining and, and being able to figure out what your motive is behind the, re, the, the actions that you're taking or maybe the problems that you're having? Yeah, so um, my belief, I don't think there's a cheat code, um, but I, I do think like you can cut out a lot of years of like turmoil by getting to a point of transparency with self and like really assessing what is happening internal, right? So like for me, there are some, we always want to like see ourselves and paint ourselves in the best light, Right. Most people who come to counseling, they come because this person's doing this and this person's doing that and this person's doing that. Mm. And at work, this is happening to me. Why does this always happen to me? Why are all these people doing this to me? Right. But what's the common denominator in that equation? You. Self. What is it about me that draws these behaviors or this same thing pattern from other people? so why is it that this keeps on happening it's something about me that's drawing it now it may not be intentional on my part it may not even be my thought it may be that things happened to me as a child that predisposed me to being you know nurturing and taking care of other people so I attract people who need to be taken care of or that predisposed me to being victimized because I learned early that I was going to be victimized. So now I draw predators, you know? So there's all these different wow. things that can happen that predispose you, but the common denominator is who. And so what is it? What is it doing that internal self-work, right? And so I can lead with, you know, I love doing this to help and to take care of people and all these things. Because that looks good and that's celebrated, right? Oh, like, yay, you're very service oriented and you're loving. And I am and I take care of people and this is what I do. That's beautiful. So then my reasons or my why, I would say, because I love taking care of people. But I got to be real clear with myself about my motives, right? So my motives is in my, in my past, maybe I had some experiences early on where I was parenting people early. I was a kid that was parenting, mm. you know, or maybe my upbringing or my childhood, I learned that it's my responsibility to step in. So now I don't know how to not take care of people. So, But I have to be clear with myself that maybe there's a little piece of me that gets fed by serving other people. Right. There's some gratification there. There's That's... some little gratification from that behavior. So it gets celebrated because it seems very selfless, but maybe there's a part of it that's selfish. Mm. Wow. So 
I think that's the difference when you start getting down into motives is it's like we all lead with these really beautiful things that are celebrated and like make you look great. But you got to be real clear with yourself if there's motives in there that are ugly. What's the ugly part to you? It's, it's so crazy that you're saying that and talking about it because a lot for me, that's where I was going with it. So for me, a lot of my my own personal journey was identifying the selfish nature of why I was doing things. and looking at it from the standpoint of am I doing this because I truly want to help somebody or am I doing this for what it says about me? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, or what it looks like, the performing side of things or the, the proving myself side of things versus no, this is truly for somebody else. Um, I had someone tell me one time and you it told me personally, you could be great if you just die to self. You mean die to self, right? I was like, huh, die to self. And they say, you need to die to yourself because it's not about you. And then as I as I've gotten older and as I've matured, it, it became you learn a different <laughs> you really learn what not about you mean. Yeah, it's like, yeah. whoa, like I mean, you get married, you have kids, you do all these things, it's it's really no longer about you. Um, so now I'm serving from a different heart posture, right? Because my serving does not have to be seen, it doesn't have to be noticed, because you'll you'll start to notice a transition from bad intentions or bad motives to good ones when. You can go do stuff and, and serve clear about and clear and nobody yeah, has to know about what your motive is. Right. Nobody has to be aware of it. Nobody has to know. Um, you're not worried about what it what somebody says about you for doing it and all that. It starts to just shift and you'll notice that shift. So then you then that awareness piece comes in and you start checking yourself. OK, so there's a couple of things uh, you said. I need to be writing down more stuff, but I'm like stuck right now. Um, Janelle, you said that your giving nature, the positive things that we advertise about ourselves can be secretly um, self-gratifying. Mm-hmm. And we are using positive language to appease our own need for something, for some mm-hmm. connection, which often can have absolutely nothing to do with what you're actually doing. Yeah. And then, Aaron, you said that your motive, even though you may be doing the right things, can be ego-driven which takes the power out of it because it's not really about helping someone else. It's about you showing how good you are at helping someone else. While trying to prove to yourself how good you are. Hey, you said that That's really well. That's good. You worded, you worded that really good. Man, listen, I'm, I'm always trying to learn, man, because that is something I have struggled with. Myself, I have found myself in situations where I had to ask myself, why do you continue to do this? Or do you really love that person? Is this really, you know, the relationship for you? Uh, Is this really the work you want to be doing? Or are you trying to derive your own gratification through someone else's pain? through yeah. someone else's journey or situation. Yeah. You know? And sometimes, though, we learn that love hurts early. 
So if love hurts, then when you find yourself in a situation that hurts, then it must be love. Mm. Well, we get in the habit of working for love, mm. right? Love takes so much work. This is what love, it feels like you're constantly having to prove, constantly having to chase, constantly having to fight. That's what love is. Wow. So then if it doesn't feel like that, then it doesn't feel like love. And it only feels like love when it is that. But then why does this relationship hurt so bad? Why am I exhausted? Why is this happening? Because you're not designed for that. Right. Right. Uh, so listen, you all are getting all of the uh, absolutely authentic reactions here because there's so many things that you're saying um, that resonate with me. And if you're listening to this, I bet it's resonating with you too, whether you're in your car or jogging or something, you're like, oh my God, who are they talking to? Listen. The reality is I have absolutely been in those situations. Um, I grew up in an environment where everything was sacrifice. Everything was taking on responsibility. That's just the way that we grew up. You know, I grew up in the church. I had a lot of brothers and sisters, I had five other sisters, and my dad worked a whole, whole lot. Uh, he was a great man. Uh, he is a great man. My mom was an educator, bilingual, just like super all the things, right? Very, very impressive couple. Um, and they taught us to sacrifice. Um, I watched my dad work tirelessly to protect his family. I mean, he's over 60 and he's still working 16 hours a day, which is just insane. I told him to stop doing that, but he won't. Anyway, um, so... When I think about service, when I think about love, when I think about um, doing the right thing, I always expect it to come at my expense. And so instead of evaluating things based off of the how it's going to affect someone else, I always think about, is it going to hurt me enough for this to be the right thing to do? Does that make yeah. sense? Is it worth the cost? Right. You know, and, and what is the cost? Because I um, associate doing the right thing with everything being, you know, super difficult. Um, and this is just like situational stuff, right? My parents didn't tell me that every situation was going to be whatever, but I understood at a very early age that I had to be responsible. I understood at a very early age that I had to, to take care of myself to a certain extent. And that's no shade on my parents. It's just the way that our family was set up. You know, there was a lot of us. And it was only two boys. And I grew up in Gary, Indiana. So if you know anything about Gary, Indiana, that's the murder cat. And uh, it get crazy over there real, real, real fast. I'm talking, you know, the police used to run up in the house. Uh, there was people stalking all my sisters for a while. There was there was murders on, on the block, drive-bys. Like that, that we, me and my brother took on a lot of responsibility very, very early yeah. because that was our job. My dad was at work. So yeah. it was up to us to make sure that we were watching his back and watching his family. He didn't say that, yeah. but it was always understood. And that's so, what, go ahead. Let me, let me say this. About to go to therapy. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm gonna cut my joke off so I don't. Um, but but let me say this. 
oftentimes the things that we need to survive in our younger years, survival tools. So taking on responsibility is a survival tool. Things that we need to survive our childhood, when we get to a point where we no longer need them and we don't realize we no longer need them, they transition from being a survival tool to a barrier. Oh, 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 oh. this is motive. This is motive. So like, as a kid, you need this to survive, right? You need to take on this responsibility because it's required to make it through. But once you make it through, do you still need that? Hmm. Or is it now hindering your interactions within relationships because you only know how to relate to someone in one way? How do they need you? And if they don't need you, then what's then your what, place? What does that say about you? What is your place in that dynamic? Wow. That is profoundly helpful, first of all. Because that's so true. <laughs> I look for situations where I can be of service. I used to have anxiety when I was a kid. Well, I still have anxiety in some aspects. And so I look for things to do. That was my escape. I would say, okay, I really don't feel comfortable in here. How can I help? Do you guys need the trash taken out? Do you, can I help do this? Can I help do that? And that was my, that was my response to my own anxiety. Um, and so... It helps me build relationships now because I'm always willing to help and I'm 100% okay with that. But it was what born out of uncomfortability. When do you yeah. get tired of helping? Oh, all and the time. that nobody sees when you need help. All the time. It is the death of most relationships because I do not fundamentally know how to allow myself to be helped the way that I want to help other people. Um, and I think, you know, that goes to my motive. I'm, I'm trying to serve other people so that they can see that I, too, need service. Yeah. Is that crazy? Uh, no, it, it's common. Very common. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. is. No, it's not crazy. That is amazing. Mm. It's not. But it's those motives that it would be easy to miss right? Because your intent is good. Helping, right? That's good. Nurturing, being responsible for people. That's good. But how does that really play out in your daily life? It plays out as being exhausted, right? Being frustrated, feeling isolated and alone that nobody sees you and your needs, but you've trained them not to. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're seeing everybody in their needs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's time. Yeah. And you're trying to love people. You're trying to love people in a way that you desire to be loved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people in the helping profession live that same life. It's very mm. common because we love and give and support in the ways we would like to see that return and reflected back to us. And when it's not, we're frustrated and disappointed. But this is how we interact with people. I'm wow. capable. I'm competent. I'm here for you. But then, like, who's going to do that for me? Well, you don't need it. Wow. Ooh. Wow. How do you get there? Like, how do you, like, so I'm on this interview with two incredible professionals. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, I'm obviously talking to you both. So for someone who 
is not on this interview um, and they're listening to this, you know, what would be some steps you would tell them to to start that process, you know, um, of of uncovering their motive? Because what you're saying for me just makes absolute sense. And it has been really frustrating, heavy, isolating, trying to figure that out. And, you know, again, I'm 30. And I feel like in the last maybe 12 months, I've really understood that my giving is somehow or is sometimes as selfish as taking because I'm giving because I want to receive that same warmth back. And when I don't, because I am okay with responsibility, I just take it on and keep moving. I don't expect it, but that's secretly, that's my motive. I want that. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's why it boils back down to that awareness Mm -hmm. and transparency that we talked about earlier on. That transparency, like first that awareness in yourself about what's really happening internally. And then that transparency to be able to keep it real with yourself. Am I doing this for the right reasons? And then to be able to communicate and articulate with people who can hold you accountable, right? So as his spouse, if I know how this stuff shows up for him, when I see him do it, I can hold him accountable. Wait a minute. Now, are you doing this because this is for me or for you? Right. Or are you doing this because you can say no, it's okay to say no. We don't have to show up all the time, you know, for everybody, everywhere, all the time. We have to find our no's. It's okay. And he can hold me accountable. Right. Because if I'm, if I'm like burning at every single end to where I'm not functioning and short tempered with everybody around the house, he's like, okay, you sit this one out. You're good. (laughs) You know. Because we we you have to keep each other in check, and you got to be able to have that that those accountability partners who see you, who you are honest and transparent enough with that they see you, not the you, and, and it's not a front. It's it's a it's um oh it's what is it called where you switch when you're around different people, um like you bring out a different part of me that. Code switching. It's code switching. So we all code switch, right? I'm different when I'm with him than I'm with my pastor. I'm different with my pastor than I am with my girlfriend. And it's authentically still who I am. Right. But it pulls, they pull out a different part of me. Right. right? And I truly believe that the people you love to be around bring out the best version of you, right? That you feel those, you want to be around those people more that bring out the parts of you that you love most. Yeah. Right. It feels like home. But there are, you know, if somebody genuinely loves me enough and it's safe enough, I can let my guard down and he sees me every single part of me. So when I am out of alignment or out of line or slipping into performance mode or whatever, he can pull me back in and say, no, let's let's work towards what we've been saying we're going to work towards. Like, let's say let's keep everything in check. Let's set a boundary here. Let's say no to that one or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. Ooh, that is powerful. That is powerful because being stuck 
in a habit, in a habit or a pattern that is not authentic to you or that is not positive for you, it's not beneficial for you, is a real thing that I believe many people, not only just, you know, in our, in our community, but just around the world that we struggle with because of all the filters we grow up with. You know, it's it's difficult to be transparent about how you feel. You know, um, I'll use my brother, for example. Hopefully he's not going to be too upset, but my brother is probably one of the most passionate people that I know. Um, but if you said it was passionate or emotional, he would absolutely disagree with those terms. But I'm like, dude, like, you are incredibly passionate all the time. You've been since we were children. I mean, half the time you got in trouble for being so passionate about something, so hard-headed, so, you know, willful about something, which is great. I mean, obviously, you know, when you're a kid and you do silly stuff, you know, your wisdom and your intention aren't aren't aligned, so you get in trouble. But... It was never because his heart wasn't in the right place. It was always because he was just so passionate about the things he wanted to do or say. And and so for some people, that transparency is so difficult. Like who who's the first, how do you start sowing those seeds of transparency? What's the first thing maybe you should try if you've never really developed a sense of transparency. If you never, you know, this is a this is a conversation you don't have in your home. So you're like, yeah, transparency. I don't first of all, I'm not going to sit on nobody's couch. So that's out. You know, and you know, for those people who are who are in that place, what is a what is a a tool that they can use that will start that seed? Really quickly, um, before we actually get into the transparency piece, I want to talk about when we were talking about your brother, you're talking about how emotional, how passionate you, um, and how that comes across. I'm that same way. I'm a very passionate and emotional person. I had to learn to. You shaking um, your head, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't think I ever met nobody like me. I've had to, I've had to learn to temper my passion and my emotion, which which could be a great thing. But it comes it comes back to that awareness word of are you aware of when your emotion your passion is in control of you or are you in control of your passion and your emotion, right? And what I mean by I used to be in meetings and we'd be having a discussion about something that I'm passionate about and it brings up emotion and this passion. And although what I'm saying is beneficial and what I'm saying is is um is good stuff or whatnot, it doesn't get received because my passion overtakes. Right, the your delivery. Word coming out of my mouth, my delivery. Right. Um, so I had somebody tell me one time, or somebody that I respect, and said, "Man, listen, what you have to say is so credible. What you have to say is so, so, so great, but nobody can receive it because of the way you're delivering, it. because the emotion is greater than the message." So I had to learn to not allow my emotions to get the best of me when I'm sitting in these meetings and people say things to ruffle your feathers or say things that, you know what I mean? I had to learn to not let my, my, my emotions get the best of me in those moments so that I can be heard. Right. Well, right. and so remind me to get back to this point about intimacy. 
to get back to the question that you originally asked, but I wanted to say um, along the lines of that is he would get extremely passionate when someone hit a trigger, right? And so I think it's important that we talk a little bit about triggers. What are my triggers? These little landmines that are hidden when people say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, it reminds me of experiences that I had early on or somewhere in my past that hurt so bad that my reaction in the present is bigger than the present circumstance, Mm -hmm. right? So somebody comes into my office one day and rubs me the wrong way. Like it's something about this person that just makes me feel uncomfortable. And I can't figure out quite what it is and just take some time to think through, well, what is it about this person that's irritating me? What is it? And then it might be that they stand over me when they talk. It might be that they talk condescending or they talk down to me. Well, who in my life ever talked down to me when I was younger? Where did I first experience that? And it's oftentimes that same energy that this person in my childhood had to this person that is now right in front of me in this meeting. You get what I'm saying? So we have these triggers. Some people's triggers are feeling isolated. Some people's triggers are being abandoned, um, being talked down to, being abused, people trying to take advantage of you, uh, feeling like left out there's or critiqued or judged. There's lots of different triggers mm-hmm. that you can have. But when you start noticing really intense and really strong emotions, then that's an indication that I have a touchy spot. That right there is a trigger and doing some work around what is that trigger point? Mm. Literally like a physical trigger point. You have emotional yeah. trigger points. Well, that goes right into what, what, you know, the, the question that I posed to begin with was like, where do you start with this? Because I don't know if anybody's like me, I don't want to just go around and tell everybody what triggers me. That's a difficult conversation to even start because sometimes you don't even know. Yeah. You're not, when was the last time you had your feet picked up asking yourself, what are your triggers? (laughs) Right, right, right. It's never a question you ask. It's something you encounter in the moment. The the other piece I was going to say when you asked that original question about where to start was just about like, to me, it's about intimacy. Like when you really, when you talk about transparency, it's really about intimacy, right? So whether it's transparency with another person or with yourself or with God, like it's really about being real and honest about what is happening. And you have to be so close up on something like even for myself I have to really know myself I have to spend time with myself I have to be I have to um not run from silence because a lot of us right now run from silence we don't want to feel what happens in silence we don't want you know those emotions to come up so we stay busy and we any quiet time we get we fill it with social media and we fill it with you know calling someone most of us can't even drive from point a to point b without some type of entertainment stimulation phone call something because we were running from things oftentimes that boredom that silence that fear or anxiety of what's going to happen if I sit long enough um and so but that's where that intimacy takes place that's where your body has room and space and time your brain can bring to the surface those things that need to be dealt with so like whether it's intimacy with self intimacy with Christ you can't truly have intimacy with another person if you won't allow yourself to have those other things, mm. right? How can you really know me if I won't take time to know me? I'm running from me, but I want you to chase me. But 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 what if but what I'm if? Running. You can't. 
but what if but what if you're you're you know you you're you you're transparent with God and you don't need to be talking about all the rest of the stuff you got going on. You know, you're transparent with your pastor and you don't need to be, you know, transparent with anybody else. I'm just Yeah. I grew up thinking that the only place you went to go get help for anything was the church. And what I learned <laughs> is that the church is full of broken people all trying to get help. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, mm -hmm. many of them are not qualified to help you. And mm -hmm. that was really, really difficult for me. And I believe that a lot of us in the black community, brown community, we assume that all of our issues can be solved by going to church. And that's the only place that we're supposed to be or or uh, exhibit our full self in that way. Because there's no reason in a, in a, in a, in a God-fearing household, we don't have conversations about transparency. You know, uh, there's no reason that, you know, in, in whatever faith that you, you know, you believe in out there, that you can't truly talk about the things that bother you. Like there were topics you just outright never were supposed to talk about, which means at a certain point, you're just hiding things and you're just saying, oh, well, God knows. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just going over things. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, God knows. You know, I, I don't have to be transparent about that. You know, I don't have to talk to, you know, my wife or my family or, or whoever about this because God knows, you know what I mean? And I've mm -hmm. seen that. That's one of the reasons why I'm so, I'm openly very critical of the church. Not because I don't believe in the principles and the character that um, faith brings out in you, but because I believe our execution of that of those teachings is so dated and flawed, it really does not save room for the actual purpose of those teachings. It will teach you how to perform more than it will teach you how to be uh, transparent and really engaged in your life. And I noticed that about myself. Maybe other people's, you know, uh, church or spiritual experiences have been different. But for myself, when you talk about transparency and really looking at yourself, you know, that was stuff that you just did in your closet, right? You know, when you prayed, you know, this is not something you live out on a daily basis where you are spending that time. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, you read your Bible and you pray, that's what you do, you know. But many of us are still stuck. Yeah. So how how do you navigate having faith, right? To step out on 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 the water, to step out in your dream, to step out in your in your purpose, um, and actually having transparency about your motives, about the hidden things that are encouraging you or or eliciting certain behaviors. How do you reckon those two together? How do those both work together? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you. You bring up the church because we're we're in a time where everybody is trying to navigate and figure out what the church is supposed to look like. Um, when it comes to, we like to say you have Jesus on therapy, right? Jesus on therapy. 
Um, and it's important to understand that. Um, but first, let's talk about the church, the body of the church. The, the body of the church is for the lost and the broken, right? To come and get healed, to come and get the, the word of God, to come and get poured into. Um, it's not for the self-righteous and the people who got it all together and all these things, right? Jesus is a healer. Jesus is the healer. Um, so where do you go if you're lost, if you're broken, if you're struggling? You go see the healer. Right? That's what the body of the church is supposed to be made up of, which is why churches are full. But the reality is people don't want to... Um, we get accustomed to hiding our broken. Yeah, but the reality is because of what it says about them or they feel like they can't... Um, they can't be honest about that because it's the church, right? Again, like you said, God knows. But I think when we start to represent the church and we start to, to look at it in a separate, in a different way, individuals will be more transparent about their brokenness. Um, because the reality is, when we talk about this in some of our training, you may be able to elaborate on what you know, is that Jesus was the example, right? All throughout scripture, Jesus wept. Jesus broke down. There's other accounts in the, in the word where individuals um, thought about suicide. They thought about, um, they had emotional People breakdown. Had depression, anxiety, yeah. all those things. It wasn't named that. It wasn't called that, but they were lamenting and crying out and they wanted to die. Take me, just kill me. Like, this is torture. Like, this all account after account throughout the Bible. We have a presentation that we do for the church where it literally just breaks down scripture. And examples of scripture that have mental illness in them. Mental health in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, it's all throughout the scriptures. They're just, it wasn't the same terminology then. You know, and so it's like with Lazarus. Okay, Lazarus died. Jesus was there to raise him from the dead. Like literally, Jesus knew in a few seconds, I'm about to raise this man up so much so I'm not even gonna rush to get there because I know what I'm gonna do when I get there, right? Mm. But he wept before. He grieved before he did what he was going to do because the human in him felt. But we're not supposed to. <sighs> you know, like we, we have to just have realistic expectations of what the church actually is if we're really following the model. And we have to start normalizing these types of conversations right. in the church because these are the type of things that a lot of pastors aren't talking about. Right. These are the scriptures that aren't pointed out or if they are talked about, they're talked about in a way that doesn't bring light to the facts of people suffering from these types of. I've literally heard that if you have anxiety, it's a lack of faith. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that is so that's not the case. I, I don't not have faith because I have anxiety. I have anxiety because my body produces chemicals that I cannot control that produces a physiological response to help me survive because God created me in a way to help me survive, right? So if a bear comes at me in the woods, adrenaline will start pumping and I will be able to outrun or to fight that bear as small as I am because of adrenaline. And God put that in me so that I can survive. So I have anxiety for that reason. Now the world skews so many things. So now I'm having a, an experience that I should be able to talk myself through and this fight or flight response is showing up when it shouldn't. But that doesn't mean that it's because I don't have faith. It just happens because my body and my mind are not always aligned. Right. Right. And so we should expect that a church is full of broken people, just as we would expect that a hospital is full of sick people. Right. 
that's what it's for. Right. Right. But we got to be real when we go to the hospital that we're sick. We're not there because we're great. That's a, that's a, that's a toughie. That's a, that's, that's real. So when you're saying this, you know, my thoughts are people are going to church because their motive is to appear whole Mm -hmm. rather than to seek help. Because if you only seek help in a way that is outwardly rewarding, because people are, oh, hey, good man, hey, hey, man, brother, how you doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. All of those are dopamine hits, right? They're validating exchanges. But the reality is your motive for going there is to feel better about yourself rather than to admit that you need more help than a handshake can give you. Yeah, I think part of the problem is we get more in the habit of religion than focused on relationships. So we're used to going to church because we've always gone to church. It's a part of our routine. It's what you do. There's traditions to it. What do you do when you don't go if it's always been a part of your life and who you are? So there's these habits that get developed and formed. But really that intimacy and relationship with Christ is something totally different than the practice of going to church. Right. Are you going to what is the function of the behavior? Are you going to church as a, a byproduct of this intimacy that you have with Christ? Or are you going to church because there's other functions to that behavior? That's powerful. And, and I think people got to get beyond looking at church as a building. Right. Right. Church is church is every day of the week. Church is how you live out your life. It's ministry. It's how you serve. It's it's are you reading the word? How are you feeling yourself? The actual going to a building on Sunday is like going to the hospital or the doctor to get some medicine, right? Yeah. You go to a church building on Sunday to hear a pastor give you the word and, and provide you some teaching, which is your medicine. Now you have to go home and you have to continue to take your medicine, but it's it's up to you to to seek it. You see what I'm saying? It's up yeah. it's up to you to to do the work on your own. Well, which requires you to. And as it pertains to pastors, like, I think, like, oftentimes this expectation that pastors will, like, the church being a place that you go and the pastor is the leader of the church, it puts this undue pressure on the pastor. But if you have the mentality that it's about relationship with Christ, my intimacy with Christ, and everything else that I do is operating from that, like, it's spilling over from that, right? It's a byproduct of this intimacy that I have with Christ. I serve because I because I am following a model that serves, right? And this is how he loves. So I mimic that love. Mm. So it's a byproduct of that. Me going to the church building and whether or not the pastor gives a good word that day, if he's on point, if he's filling off, if he goes through whatever, like he's a person, but he is not responsible for my intimacy with Christ. He can't do anything to impact my intimacy with Christ because this is a linear relationship. That's the key. It's misplaced idols. The key is misplaced idols. We can't forget who the ultimate, who the who sits on the throne, who's the idol, right? The idol is God. That's that's where that's the source. But a lot of times with the churches, we put the we put our pastor or our elders and our deacons and all these people, these leaders of the yeah. church, we put them in the seat 
and start to look at them in the way we should be looking at the model, which is God, right? Yeah. So we start to look at them in this way. No, they're people just like we are. That have needs right? and that Seeking have their approval. You know, they have they have their own stuff that they're carrying as well. They're shepherding, which is a hard job. It's a hard job to shepherd a body of people and to try to help people navigate these individual walks and journeys. But we also have to get outside of coming and sitting in a pew and waiting to receive. You do the work and teach me. Yeah. Say something to inspire me so that I can get through the week. <laughs> Not weekly inspiration. You gotta, you gotta go home and do some work. Yeah. You gotta, when you leave that building, you gotta go do some work. Yeah. Right? It's like planting the seed, right? The seed is planted. Now you gotta go water it. Mm. Because if you don't, if you plant a seed and you don't water it and till the soil and you don't water it and do all that, what's gonna happen to the seed? Wow. Man, it's not gonna grow. It's not, not gonna, gonna grow. grow. So it's just a great grow, exercise. You gotta go home, you gotta water it, you gotta give it the nutrients that it needs in order for it to grow. Mm. Because burying something, giving something life takes the same action when you talk about planting. Wow. You said burying something and giving something life has the same action. Think about it. Is, when, is, you bury, when you when you bury something that's dead and you bury somebody, what do you do? You dig it up. You got to put a hole in the ground. Yeah. You you put it in the ground, you put dirt and soil on top of it. When you plant something, when you plant food and fruit and vegetables, all that stuff, you dig a hole, you put a seed in the ground, you put dirt on top of it. What's the difference? What do you do to it? Your motive. Your motive is to bury something and your motive is to grow something on the other end. So there's action behind it. So you're going to water it. You're going to make sure it has the sun and the nutrients that it needs. You're going to do all of that in order for it to grow because if you don't, how do you know the difference between something that's dead and something that's alive that you just dead? Well, and the crazy thing is, if you feed and nurture dead things, even they will grow. So you plant something under the soil and you water the soil and you nurture and give sun and nutrients to that soil. Life is going to grow from that same soil that you bury something under. Wow. You just... Next level. So you... it's never too late, right? <laughs> It's never too late. <laughs> the conversation around uncovering your motives is such a deep and profound uh, topic. And so we had to break up this interview with Courageous Healing into two parts. What you just heard is part one. Part two will be available in the very next episode. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned. The second part of this conversation is even more thrilling, exciting, informative, and impactful than the first half. So I can't wait to share with you part two of Uncovering Your Motives with Courageous Healing, Inc. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you a little later. Peace. Empower You Podcast is devoted to bringing real-world wisdom and encouragement to our listeners. We discuss a multitude of life principles and the process from an economic, cultural, and societal perspective. We believe that through tough conversations and shared wisdom, we can pave the path and leave a ladder for the future. Subscribe to our channel and let us empower you.